Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, the Gospel of Matthew, I have a red light here, so I think I'm, we might just go with this one, or, yeah, um, all right, we'll fix that for next week. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, if you would, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, and um, we are covering the Lord's Prayer. And we come to the phrase, forgive us our debts, even as we forgive our debtors. And so, last week we covered the phrase, as we're walking through the phrase of the Lord's Prayer, each phrase, give us this day our daily bread. It's a reminder that we have a daily dependence upon the Lord for our, our, our basic needs and our physical needs. And that God is concerned about physical things. And so, if the, the phrase, give us this day our daily bread, was to meet our greatest physical need, when we see, forgive us our debts, it is addressing, asking God to meet our greatest spiritual need. And so, let us recite together what we've just sung, the Lord's Prayer, and we'll ask God to help us and uh, look into this phrase. So let's recite it together. We'll recite it from the King James Version And the words will be on the screen as well. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, would you help us as we look at this phrase? Lord, you have taught us what we need to pray, and there's so much in this model prayer that you have for us. Lord, we all are probably familiar with this prayer, and so we ask that you would help us to not be so familiar with it that we miss the meaning you have for us. And Lord, I ask that you would use your Holy Spirit, that your Holy Spirit would use your word, and that, Lord, we would just depend upon you and trust you Thank you that you promised to use your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you ever thought that maybe the, um, that the gospel was not present, if you've ever thought, well, the Lord's Prayer, that's not really a gospel-centered prayer, is it? Like, there's not much gospel in the Lord's Prayer, and how does the gospel fit into the Lord's Prayer. Well, this phrase, right at the center of the Lord's Prayer, and the, the second of the last three petitions, really gives us that whole underpinning about that. So think again if you're like, well, the Lord's Prayer, there's not any gospel in that. Or if anyone can pray, you don't really need to be a Christian to really pray this prayer. Think again. This phrase points that out. Now, We have talked several times when we've talked to you about being a good student of the Bible, that being a good student of the Bible is kind of like being a good detective at a crime scene. Kind of like for Mother's Day, when a mother walks into a room after there's been an argument and fights, and she has a few seconds to analyze the situation, see the details, and see who's at fault and who might be alive and who needs to be scolded and hung by their fingernails for messing up grandma's vase or vase or whatever it was in the house, right? 
No, but a detective walks in the room where the difference between a good detective and a bad detective is details. A good detective notices all these little things that have moved around the room or stuff that would happen, the lights on, lights off, things turned in, uh, steps in the, you know, prints on the carpet or uh, whether the water was turned off or on or the, what, what hand, whether the, the shooter might have been right-handed or left-handed or by the splatters of blood on the wall or something like that, right? Or ketchup, right? Um, and so when we come to the Bible, we need to walk into a room, being the passage at hand, and notice details, So one of the first things that we need to settle when we look at the phrase, forgive us, is what is the word? How many of you, and I would say most of you, have heard this Lord's Prayer repeated in one of two different ways? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Or you've heard it, it, and maybe you recited it, forgive us our trespasses, even as we forgive those who trespass against us except during deer season, right? Um, No, how many of you heard both ways? How many of you grew up saying trespass? How many of you grew up saying debts? Okay, now you might think, oh, there's contradictions in the Bible. Maybe it's different passages. Maybe it's those terrible modern versions that perverted the Bible or something like that. Is it a translation issue? Is it a... Different passages? Well, Luke, so the Lord's Prayer as we know it, proper way that we most say, the common way would be what we read here in Matthew chapter 6. What's in Matthew, what we just recited. The other passage that it's in is in the Gospel of Luke, uh, where it's, but it uses the word there, sins. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those sin against us. So where did this idea of transgressions come from? Well, if you look down at verse 14, if you're in Matthew chapter 6, so it said, forgive us our debts, but then in verse 14 it says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So the word trespasses is used in verses 14 and 15. And so where did this come from? Well, I'm glad you asked because whether you, the way you, you uh, grew up reciting that and how you recited that probably depends more on what type of English-speaking Christian tradition influenced you more than the Bible translation you use. It's not a translation issue. It's not a Bible translation issue. It's more of a Christian tradition um, issue. So the first um, English translation of the New Testament would have been John Wycliffe. John Wycliffe used the word debt. Now, it was an old, old English word. It's debitus or something like that. It's, it's spelled in a different way. Uh, it used the word debt. But when um, William Tyndale, the first completed English translation of the Bible in the early 1500s, and I have kind of a facsimile of that in my office if you ever want to check that out sometime, a small one of what Tyndale's New Testament would look like in the early 1500s. And um, he used the word transgressions. So this is, you know, 1500s, 1520s, 1530s. The, and this is a little, those of you, and I kind of went into, you could go down so many rabbit holes in this because there's so much going on in the 15 and 1600s in Europe. Uh, there's the, the battles of the three different kingdoms and all the things with 
Cromwell and Mary, Queen of Scots and James the Fourth becoming James the First, and all the different things and the uh, acts of uh, you know want, wanting to have conformity, and you have so you have the, all this stuff going on with the the English, the British Reformation of wanting things under the Church of England and the and under the bishops and the bishops' rule, and then you had Scotland that wanted this Presbyterian model and no bishops and only the presbyters and then you had the puritans in the mix of that and these non-conformists and these becoming this idea of these english baptists and these puritans and they love this geneva bible that didn't see this divine right of kings as absolute and the of course the monarchy hates this idea and there's all these different wars going on and all the stuff that you glossed over when you were in history class that is just really intriguing and there's these battles and some of the and, and then there were good people on most sides and even in the church of england wanted to conform things and and even the, even though that might not have been the best idea there were still godly men like thomas cranmer who were influenced by the reformation that put together in the 1500s the book of common prayer and that was before that james had authorized the bishops and the puritans to work together on a new translation so they had uh, they had Tyndale's translation, they had Matthew's Bible, they had the Great Bible, they had the Bishop's Bible that no one really liked except the bishops, and then you had the Geneva Bible that the Puritans and the Presbyterians in Scotland all really loved, but the king didn't like it, and so they, but they, they so they, when the Book of Common Prayer came, they used William Tyndale's translation, forgive us our trespasses. And so if you grew up in a tradition that was influenced by the Church of England, you probably grew up reciting it that way. So if you grew up in a tradition that was influenced by a a Catholic or the Episcopal or Anglican Church or Episcopal models of the church like Methodism or something like that, you probably grew up saying, forgive us our trespasses even as we forgive those who trespass against us. If you grew up in a Reformed tradition or a, a Baptistic tradition um, or, or something like that, or a Presbyterian church, you probably grew up saying, forgive us our debts, even as we forgive our debtors. And so it's probably more influenced by how you grew up and what type of Christian tradition you grew up in as what way you say it. But... The word itself, so that's okay, that's kind of cool, and that's a little, you know, nerdy history stuff that's kind of neat. But what does the Bible actually say? Well, the Greek word is more literally translated in Matthew, debt. And uh doesn't mean that, like, um, Tyndale was totally off the rocket because there is a parallelism, and when you get to verse 14, it's the word trespasses, so he is kind of being consistent. But the King James translators and the English, English Standard Version here and the most modern versions would use the word debt because that is more true to the Greek word. Now, um, if it is the word debt, that brings up the idea of debt. And debt, understand what debt is versus trespasses. I mean, trespass is one of those things like, you know, you're out in the woods, you're hunting, you're hiking, and... Oh, oh my, we crossed, we didn't see the post-it sign, and we're accidentally trespassing on somebody else's land. And you're like, oops, sorry about that, we'll drag the deer over here, <laughs> and, or that type of thing. It's not that big a deal. Some people it's a big deal, but others it's not. Debt is something different. 
And especially for us as Americans, we need to kind of remember the history of debt and how debt was treated, especially when we look at the parallel passages of this, like we read in Matthew 18, about the servant being thrown into prison um, for not paying a debt. I read this week that the average debt of Americans is uh, $138,000 when you include mortgages and things like that. But the average American consumer credit and credit card debt is $6,000. Um, we are a nation of debtors. I remember um, my grandpa who uh, you know, worked in the coal mines. The coal miners, when they would tell stories of some of those mining communities um, back in the day when companies would pay them in company script and they would sit, buy their goods, they could only spend that company script at a company store. There's one of those old ballads about how I owe my soul to the company store um, that uh, loaded 16 ton and what did I get another day older and deeper in debt? St. Peter, don't you call me because I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store. And it was. My soul was owed because I owed a debt, that type of an idea. And so we get that a little bit, but when we go back in history to before the 1800s, the, the idea of debt is a little bit harsher um, because there was a thing called debtor's prisons. And this is many cultures, many different things, that you would be put in a prison for your debt, and it was a way to put a lot of pressure on your family to get those debts paid and put a lot of pressure on. And, there's, and, and of course, things have changed uh, into the 1800s in this country and then bankruptcy laws and things like that, but there's still even some controversy, even in the 70s and 80s, about this, of certain judges wanting to have some jail time in lieu of people that didn't pay certain debts or things like that. Um, but there was this idea of debtors' prisons, and then as there started to be some social reforms, that um, turned into what we would use the phrase "poor houses." That people would go to poor houses and things like that. But in the 1600s and the 1700s, one of the things this make this come a little bit home. One of the things that debtors could do, indentured servants that owed certain things, to pay off was to to kind of give themselves as indentured servants in certain places. Uh, and, and Britain often used their colonies for that. You know, Australia, uh, Georgia was mainly a prisons col- prisoner's colony. But one of the ways that many people from Scotland and Ireland um, that were prisoners of some of these wars were they could give themselves to a certain number of years service to a uh, a ship crew or a company, uh, the Virginia Trading Company or some of the different companies uh, in exchange for a passage to the New World, to the colony, and then work for so many years. And especially in colonies, in the mid-Atlantic colonies of Virginia, Delaware, New Jersey, a little bit of Maryland. But you also got to remember where we are sitting today was part of that Virginia colony and I read that half to, two, to two-thirds of the immigrants that came to those colonies in the 16 and 1700s came because of debt. So if you're sitting here and you are maybe a fifth or sixth generation American from some of those mid-Atlantic colonies, chances are pretty high that one of the main motivators in your ancestors coming here was paying off debt. Um, 
course, as, as I mentioned before, this is well before bankruptcy laws. So to be forgiven as a debt of a debt um, is not some trifle thing. Sometimes we think, oh, someone had their debts forgiven. Um, it catches people's attention when someone has a debt forgiven. Um, even in the last couple 20 years, the G8 summit, when some of the, the, those terribly poor countries were forgiven massive amounts of debt, it catches everyone's attention. So to have a big front porch and a smaller house, so a big introduction, I want us to think of those things about debt, debtors' prisons, poor houses, what you owe with debt, so that when we come to the idea of forgive us our debts, that that's not just, well, I might have to refinance that or transfer the balance on that, that it's not just a debt, that there's a prison, there's a sentence that comes with an unpaid debt. So the first question that needs to come up when we ask this, when we see Jesus direct us to pray, forgive us our debts, is, well, why do we need to ask forgiveness? And the reason is because we are debtors. We are not just physically debtors. We are spiritual debtors. In fact, Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, it kind of points out that God sees our sin against him as debt. We are debtors to righteousness. All of us are severely overdrawn in the account of righteousness. We are all sinners. There is none righteous, no, not one. We do not have righteousness. In fact, our righteousness is overdrawn. We sin every day by birth and by choice and our thoughts, with things we shouldn't do that we do, things that we should do that we don't do. We are sinners. And only God's forgiveness can clear that guilt and establish a relationship between us and God. So the Lord's Prayer is not some casual prayer for just some generic religious, you know, for generically religious people can all recite the Lord's Prayer. No, the Lord's Prayer is a gospel prayer. Forgive us this massive sin debt we have against you, God. Forgive us our debts. So the, the foundation of the Lord's Prayer is the gospel. So you, you're only really going to be able to pray the Lord's Prayer when, we, when you recognize that, that I and you, that we have a debt to God's grace, a debt to God's love, a debt to God's righteousness, and that Christ is the only, only remedy. Now, I want you to know that we don't earn forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It doesn't say, forgive us our debts because we forgive our debtors. As. So, so you're not earning. There's no, if I forgive people, God will forgive me. No, 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 no. We forgive because we're for, forgiven. In fact, the title of the message today is Forgiven People, Forgive People. Not to be forgiven, but we forgive because we're forgiven. So the gospel, to sink in on the gospel, the gospel is the truth that a holy and righteous God cannot be in the presence of sin. And that sin has a need, requires for God to be true and righteous. That payment for sin must be paid in full. And see, we can listen to stories about 
you know, and be enamored with like the G8 summit or things like this where all these countries are forgiven their debts. Or, or you hear about someone that says, hey, someone owed them all this money and they just forgave all that debt. Well, that sounds great if you're the one being forgiven the debt, but then you almost feel bad for the person that had to give up on it. You know, someone, someone goes to a business owner and takes out tons of work. And if you're a contractor and someone says, hey, I want to have, you know, uh, Tim's crew come do thousands of dollars worth of work for me. For, for us, and then not pay it. And then, well, it would be great if he just forgive that debt. But what about the business owner then? That now has to absorb all the costs. So that's, so is that fair? Is that right? No, it's a sin against righteousness then, right? So how can God be right and holy and forgive a debt? Because the righteousness debt is a penalty that God both demands And he also provides the payment. In fact, that he sends his son to pay the payment of our sin debt. And then he also requires that that debt be paid. And so that we can stand here, and if you know Christ is your Savior, and you can sing full voice the old hymn, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Jesus paid it all. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, He has made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. So He, not only does He absorb our debt and bring our overdrawn account back to zero, He then imputes or assigns or gives to us or credits to us the righteousness of Jesus. So it's almost as if you took your bank account that's severely overdrawn and changed the name and the ownership of the account to Bill Gates' account. And so now instead of overdrawn fees, you have surplus. And that's what happened is you changed the name on the account that Jesus got your sin account and you got Jesus' righteousness account. And that's that the gospel is. And when we say forgive us our debts, we're just saying, God, I'm authorizing you to change the names on the account. I, I, I receive the payment that Jesus has offered for my sin debt. And so the gospel should humble all pride that there is no such thing as self-righteousness. We have no righteousness in ourselves. Um, sin is our failure to meet the obligation to God. It's a debt to justice. I want you to get that. Your sin is a debt to God. Your sin, my sin, is a debt to God. It is primarily against God. It's what makes sin so bad, even secret sin. It is sin against God. And David would say, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Yes, he'd sinned against Bathsheba, sinned against her husband, but his sin was primarily against God. And so we have nothing in this. And so as the hymn writer says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. There should be no pride in us. Our debt is canceled, righteousness is given. And as Paul said to the Ephesians, for by grace you're saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God not of works, so that no one would boast. It is not a result of works. But the grace that saves us does result in works. It's not the result of works, but it does result in works, right? And so the prayer, forgive us our debts, is a prayer that 
that we, to remind us that we are sinners who need to be forgiven. That our greatest need, this is our greatest need, forgiveness of God, being right with God. Our greatest need is not financial. Our greatest need is not physical. Our greatest need is not educational or opportunity or social or self-expression. That is not our greatest need. Our greatest need is forgiveness of the debt we owe to God in sin. And this prayer, forgive us our debts, tells us that there is hope in Christ to be forgiven. So this is a bold prayer. It's an audacious prayer. How can we pray, God, forgive us our debts? Because of the gospel. The gospel gives us that boldness. Because of Christ, we can come boldly before the throne of grace, receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. And we can say, forgive us our debts. And it also reminds us that God is willing to forgive us. And it is on this basis that we remember how much we've been forgiven. And so as Sib said, there is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. Um, We are all debtors to grace, debtors to mercy. We're all debtors to that. We sing a song about that. Martin Luther, when he was on his deathbed and he had kind of gone with some dementia and delirium and things like this, and he muttered, we are all debtors. This is true on his deathbed. And we are debtors. We owe Christ everything. We're debtors to him. And the cancellation of an enormous debt makes an enormous statement. And it has enormous results. And so, uh, one more thing before we change gears here to the second part of this phrase. Jesus said to his disciples, forgive us our debts debts he said to his disciples pray this way forgive us our debts so why do we need to ask god forgiveness well because we have this massive sin debt okay that's i get that jason what about when we're already saved does that mean we don't pray this prayer anymore no jesus directed the disciples to pray this so there's actually been people debate this well a christian should never have to have to ask or need to ask forgiveness ever again because once for all we're saved right I've heard people argue this. Jesus, this this passage in the Lord's Prayer, something as simple as the Lord's Prayer, runs amok to that line of thinking. Jesus says to the disciples, pray this way. Forgive us our debts. Now, here's why this is important. Why would we continue to request asking God to forgive us our debts? And, And when it comes to our salvation, there are two different aspects to our justification. There, and this is where we need to keep this in mind. So there's the judicial side of this that we are, we are declared righteous. When you, when you believe on Christ, he, you are saved. He declares you to be righteous. You're justified. And that is once for all. It's perfect tense. It, you, there, it's all. Um, he, all of our sins, past, present, and future, we're saved from that. And the, he has buried them in the depths of the deepest sea. He, we are washed. We are cleansed. It is done. But there's another aspect of our relationship with God, and that's the, f- the family side. That's the relational or the fellowship side of it. And so um, this is the aspect that we address when we, as Christians, continue to pray, forgive us our debts. This is that 1 John 1, 9. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That when I sin this morning, when I sin this afternoon, when you sin tomorrow and all that, that, that I know and you know you're saved and that that sin has been dealt with on the cross. But there's still something there that you want to have that communion with the Lord. And this is where we pray again, forgive us our debts. And we confess that sin. And that we, have, we keep short sin accounts with God. In the same way you would want to keep short accounts with your spouse or your children and your loved ones. That you know, I mean some of you, you know your mom forgives you. But there's something about going and saying, mom, I'm sorry. And having that relationship restored verbally. And this is what we're speaking of. We're speaking of that family, that relationship there. Christians will struggle with sin even after salvation. And so it is good for us to pray. Forgive us our debts. So, as we said there earlier, that the forgiveness, the, the uh, uh, covering up, the forgiveness of a great debt sends an enormous message. And so it infuses something where, so when it goes to the next phrase, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Jesus explains this later on in verse 14 and 15. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you, forgive your trespasses. Um, so there is one aspect here that, that we can know we are saved. An evidence of our salvation is that, that we've experienced God's salvation. An evidence that we've experienced God's forgiveness is that we will become forgiving people of others. So forgiven people forgive people. But also that God will, when you refuse to forgive someone, refusing to forgive others' sin is often in itself a sin against God. And by that I mean there's someone that's wronged us or we perceive they've wronged us or they have wronged us or whatever and we've developed an anger and a bitterness and an antagonism about that situation, then they might not even know about it. They it might they might be have been be dead and gone, and we're still having keeping that anger and bitterness. Or they might have moved away, or we haven't seen them in thirty years, and we've still been harboring that bitterness that God calls sin. And so we have we carry that sin as well. So there's a couple ways to look at this: that Jesus won't forgive us our sins; that either we've not experienced that salvation because forgiven people forgive people, or in our lack of forgiveness, we're also keeping sin that's unconfessed. And so, um, so the same way, Jesus would say things like, judge not, that you be not judged. For with the same judgment you judge others, you're going to be judged the same way. So if you're like, I can't believe that person was so mean to them, so I'm just going to be mean to everybody else in a bitter old, you know, curmudgeon the rest of my life. You're like, wait, you're mean because this person was mean. And you're judged by the same thing. And this is what Jesus is saying to us here. But he gives this great example later on in Matthew's gospel that we read as our scripture reading this morning that the parable of the unforgiving servant that Bart read for us in our scripture reading about the one, the, the, the kingdom, the parable. Remember, it's a physical story. There's a spiritual meaning. And so the, it comes up with this question where Peter comes to him, now this is right after the discussion about the lost sheep, right after the discussion about if you have a brother who's sinned against you, and it gives that example of 
That's why context is so important. If your brother sins against you, to tell it to them personally, one-on-one. This is the example of when we have biblical communication, that we keep it, the, 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 the offense with a small, and it comes out, you know, if someone offend, offended against me, go first to Twitter, first to Instagram, first to Facebook, tell all about it, have all your friends like it, and say how bad they are, and then go talk to them. No. It says to tell them their fault between you and him alone. And you know what? If we did this, 80% of our problems would end there. Because we talk to that person, they're like, oh, I didn't mean that that way. I'm so sorry. Or you know what? I was a jerk when I said that. I, I, I apologize. Can I get you coffee? Um, and you're like, okay. But you know what we do? We go to this person and this person. We text this person. We talk to that person. We stew on it. We talk about it. Talk about it at family reunions. Talk about it this, da 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 And the person has no idea. And you have no idea. You just feel it's weird. And you, but then when you see each other at Walmart, you go, hi. And then, and, then, and then you go on. And then 20 years later, you're still mad. And you don't even know what it is. Right? I grew up here. I know how it works. Yeah. And so Jesus says, you go talk to them. If they refuse, you go two or three. If they refuse, talk to them. You tell the whole church. And the, and the church is to do this. And then there's the context that says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. That was not a verse to say, if I have a buddy with me in the woods, I can skip church. Where two or three are gathered. That's a verse about church discipline. Okay? And, and restoring believers together. And then Peter comes up and says to him, Lord. So he just talked about this. Someone offending, forgive, things like that. How often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. As many as seven times? And Jesus says to him, I do not say until seven times, but until 70 times seven. Now, Jesus is not trying to give him a math lesson. Okay? The purpose of Jesus' response is not math. Okay? All you people that like math can just be disappointed there. Okay? I did, the, I did the multiplication. I know how many times I'm allowed to forgive, and after that, it's all over, right? Off with their heads, you know? <laughs> I counted. I, I got a tally going on. I got an app on my phone that keeps track, right? No. Then Jesus gives this parable about the king who has someone who owes him 10,000 talents. Now, that is a huge amount of number. That's in the in modern equivalent to the millions. That's a huge amount of numbers, a huge amount of a debt. And he comes and pleads and asks for mercy, and the king forgives him. And that's a huge statement. Forgiveness of an enormous debt makes an enormous statement. And he has pity on him. But then when the same servant went out, he, his fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, I'm not exactly sure how much a denarii is. I read about it, and it says that that would be a normal laborer's wage. That would be about four months of payment. Okay, So if you can think about four months of salary. So it's not nothing. It's not just chump change. It's a, it's a large amount of money, but it's nothing compared to the millions. right? And so the person owes him 100 denarii, and he sees him and says, Pay what you owe! Right? And pay what you owe. And then he says, and he puts him in prison. Remember the debtor's prison? This is the common practice up until the last couple hundred years. Someone went to prison for this. And he refused. And the king finds out and, he's, and he gets on him. And he says, I forgave you so much. As I had mercy, should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? 
And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until the, he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And so Jesus gives this incredible parable to us to teach us what forgiveness is. So our problem is we forget the status we are. When we have someone that owes us a hundred denarii, we forget that we're the one that was forgiven thousands of talents, that we were forgiven 10,000 talents. Think of the, the, the huge sum of debt of sin that you owed the righteous God, that he forgave and gave you his righteousness. And there is one sin that someone sinned against you. And you're like, I'm not going to forgive them. And I, they just need to get what's coming their way. And we forget that we're the 10,000 talent category. That that's our status. We're not the 100 denarii status. And I do think if we would remember that, if we would let the gospel center us on our status of forgiveness, it would change us in the way we see others. And so... Forgiven people forgive people. And Jesus, or Paul said it in, in Ephesians, he said that forgiving one another, even as God Christ forgave us. That that's the standard. And so um, a few um, quotes and then we'll apply this. In the Valley of Vision, which is a collection of Puritan prayers, one of the prayers says, let me never forget that the enormousness of sin lies not in much in the nature of sin committed as in the greatness of the person sinned against. That our sin was a sin against God. Our sin is dead against God. And then as Matthew Henry said it this way, he said, if that is the measure of forgiveness the disciple has received, any limitation on forgiveness he shows to his brother is unthinkable. If that is the... If that is the measure of forgiveness the disciples received, that God has forgiven us all our sin debt, if that's the measure, then any limitation on how, who we would show forgiveness to our brothers and sisters would be unthinkable. Now, so we are to be forgiven. And Dave Harvey said it this way, forgiveness is at the heart of the gospel. And therefore, to be a defining characteristic of every believer a defining characteristic of every Christian is going to be that they're going to be a forgiving person. Because forgiven people forgive people. Now, a few application points I want to make sure. that So forgiveness shows up in, in various ways. On the front end, of, before someone sins against you, we show mercy and forgiveness in the form of kindness. That we, show kind, we should be showing kindness to everyone. Okay? Then there's a forgiveness that is extending mercy to people. And, and then, there's, um, th- then there's a forgiveness that is forbearance, okay? There's a vertical forgiveness that's a forbearance. Forbearance is, is the idea of, when, by, by to forbear or to bear ahead, that we can bear it on our own. This is the idea, like in the end of the New Testament, where it says that um, charity covers a multitude of transgressions. Or in Proverbs, it says it's a glory to overlook an offense. If there's an offense that you truly can, just let it go. Um, and the cold never bothered me anyway, right? 
You know, you can just let it go and, and not bring it up. That is forbearance. There are some sins that people commit against us. You're just like, that's just Jamie. That's just what, you know, just let it go, right? You know, and, um, and you can truly forgive and you're not, you're not going to bring it up. Now, we got to be so careful because then there's a forgiveness that, that we need to approach them to seek forgiveness. That we've forgiven them vertically, but it is something we need to go and bring it to them. Uh, there are some things that, that, that might have been a sin against you. So we're not suggesting that there's been an abuse situation or some type of a crime committed. I'm not just saying you need to go find that person. or No, no, no. There's, there's other things. So that's why I want to nuance this. But the spirit is that we have a disposition towards forgiveness in this way. So we got to be so careful that that forbearance idea, that we don't, we don't push that because we can trick ourselves in forbearance and saying, well, I'm just not going to bring it up. I forgive. I'm forbearing. And let me give you a little tip. If you're thinking about it often, if you're talking to other people about it, it is more than an area that you, you can forbear. That You need to go be reconciled to that person. Maybe talk to them about it or let them know or uh, that type of thing. If you've heard about it um, from others that they're upset with you on something or whatnot that may, might be. And then there are times that forgiveness is truly extended. So... Um, Forgiveness is not based on anything we've done. Um, and forgiveness, having a forgiving spirit, reveals a lot about us, about our own, the state of our own soul, because forgiven people forgive people. And to bring this back to a Mother's Day um, a- application, most of us, this is where we've seen forgiveness modeled for us, is in our mother. Um, that, it, truth be told, the people we're probably cruelest to are our parents, right? Uh, that we've said things about or to or things like that. And um, that is probably where we've seen it the most, where that the virtue of motherhood shows up in their forgiving spirit. Um, uh, both ways, you know? I've seen mothers, um, you know, talk about how terrible their kids are to their face, but then, boy, defend them to the hilt in public, right? And the same way with other things um, that... Um, Sometimes, but it's it's good to have that. So this is a this is a trait. So I hope you'll think on this when we see this phrase, "Forgive us our debts, even as we forgive our debtors." That we need to ask forgiveness because we have a debt to God. And so if you are not saved, you are. He is offering this forgiveness of your debt to believe on Christ to have that account changed, and then for our ongoing relationship with Him. We would ask forgiveness. And then because we've been forgiven so much, we will in turn be people that forgive others. So recognize you are in the 10,000 category. And so when the 100 denarii categories come to you, you're able to forgive. And I hope you'll be a forgiven people that forgive people. Let's close in prayer. Our Lord, we thank you so much for this phrase in the Lord's Prayer that we ask to be forgiven. Forgive us our debts. And Lord, help us to be those that would forgive our debtors. Lord, we deserve to be in the eternal debtor's prison of hell. And you have offered us the gift of salvation so that we can not only be have that debt erased, but then we're given more than that in the righteousness of Jesus, a, a, a value that we can't even comprehend. Lord, help us those that do not know Christ, to believe on that and be saved. And Lord, I also pray that we would all think on that gospel 
and it would in turn us turn make us a forgiving people towards others. Lord, I pray that there would be reconciliation take place in our body where it needs to. And I pray that we would be forgiving and willing to forgive where it needs to. And I pray all of this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to respond um, 